tonight to, to the book of Numbers, uh, beginning there in chapter 17. Um, we left off, man, it's an exciting time right now in the book of Numbers. And uh, we see that uh, if you weren't here last week or if you need a little re- refreshing, well, last week as we were going through the book of Numbers, we saw how there was this, pretty much this re- this revolt against against uh, the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And we're told that that, that like three, the many three guys, they, they stirred up about 250 people and they caused this rebellion against their leadership. And their accusation against Moses was, hey, Moses, you're doing too much, man. You're taking too much upon yourself because we don't need you to hear from God because the people are well able to hear from God. We don't need you. Right. And so the, what they were trying to do is that they were establish, trying to establish themselves as a, as a leadership and as an authority there amongst the people. Right. And I mean, keep in mind, there's again, there's a few million Israelites there in the, there in the wilderness. So you'll have these little pockets of rebellion. Right. And so there's always whenever you have, you know, some, something big like that going on with one person in charge because of the sinfulness of man. Right. There's going to be contention. There's going to be strife. There's going to be, you know, uh, fights amongst them. There's going to be this 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 uh, this fighting for power position. And so that's what happened as they were there in the wilderness. But we see that God made sure that all the people knew who he had chosen right and so we're told that that god told uh, moses he says all right he says call those elders and tell them to present uh incense before the tabernacle and he says and i'm gonna make it known to them whom i have chosen right and we're told that as that as korah and these other guys as they brought their incense before the tabernacle were told, told that they were consumed immediately Right, so God pretty much uh, 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 broke down this rebellion, this revolt against Moses and Aaron. And we're told that, that the rest of the people who had rebelled against him, the 250-something, that the earth opened up and it swallowed them up. And then we're told that this plague came upon the people. And as this plague came upon the people and a couple thousand of them died, we're told that actually it was 14,700 people died because of this revolt. Of these people, so they were casualties because of the of the ignorance, because of the of the rebellion, because of the selfishness of these few individuals. Man, there was there were many casualties, but we saw that as, as they were dying, that that, that Aaron, uh, that Moses told Aaron, "Hey, man, go up there and make intercession for the people." So we're told that Aaron, uh, he got in there, he began to intercede on behalf of the people, and the plague stopped. Right, so we saw the beautiful picture of just of intercessory prayer, how the Lord can use us to make to make intercession on behalf of someone else. Right? We stand in the gap and something's going on in someone's life. And just like we did right now before we started our study, right? We're like, all right, sometimes you don't know who's going who's gonna to pray for you. I mean, you may, this person may not ever have anyone ever pray for you except for you. Right? That's heavy. And so we see that Aaron stood in the gap. He, he began to pray for them and, uh, and the plague stopped. And with that, getting to chapter 17, we see that God is going to continue. All right, here he displayed right, uh, his choice. He, he made it known to all the people whom it was that he had chosen. And we're going to see that God is going to further establish his decision. And he's going to further establish the, the, leader posi- the leadership position of Moses and Aaron. There are a bunch of people. And so chapter 17 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods, write each man's name on his rod. And so as God speaks to Moses again, he's going to, this is still the same incident. So God is continuing to establish their leadership position amongst all the people. And so God's word to Moses, all right, get 12, el- 12 elders, one from each tribe. He says, and then uh, and have them bring their rods before you. Right now, this rod is a, a shepherding rod. So really what it is, it's a dead branch. It's a dead stick. Well, which it's a dead, thick branch, with which they probably carved out, but it's supposedly just this dry, uh, wooden stick. 
right? That they would use to shepherd the flocks or to shepherd their animals as they're there in the wilderness. That's all it is. It's just a dead rod, a dead stick. And so God tells Moses, all right, get a rod from each of the elders of their father's house, right? So 12 rods, meaning one from every single one of the tribes. And verse 3 says, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. So as each of the elders brought their rod from every tribe, they will write their name on them. And, and, and God tells Moses, now bring Aaron's rod and, and write, you know, write Aaron from the tribe of Levi. So Aaron was a representative of the tribe of Levi. Keep in mind there were 12 tribes. So 12 elders and 12 rods. And then it says, verse 4, Then you shall place him in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. And thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. And so God, again, furthering, furthering, uh, further establishing the leadership of Moses and Aaron, but specifically now Aaron, right? Because, the, again, the accusation against Moses and Aaron was, hey, man, you guys are doing too much. Who made you leaders amongst us, right? You guys are taking up too much among yourself. We could all hear from God, right? That was their complaint against Moses and Aaron. They were saying, hey, man, look, you're trying to take advantage of us when it wasn't true. And so God now, is, again, is going to establish Moses and Aaron, but specifically Moses now as the priest there, as the priest there amongst the people. So as they bring their 12 rods, we're told that they were to bring them into the tabernacle, which is their, their, the, the tent where they would meet God, the presence of God. And then we're told that God himself was going to choose one man's rod. And pretty much whoever rod God, uh, God chooses, it's going to be all right. This is a guy whom God has chosen to represent himself before all the people. And we're told that they were to know this because who, whoever's rod he was going to choose, we're told that it was going to blossom. And so... Verse 6 says, So Moses spoke to the children of Israel and each of their leaders, and he gave them a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's houses, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds. He says, and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. And then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel. And they looked and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. And thus did Moses just as the Lord had commanded him. So he did. And so we're told that God again, as he, as he commanded Moses, to get a rod from each one of the, of the tribes. And Aaron brought his, representing the tribe of Levi. They brought him in the tabernacle. And God said, all right, whosoever rod I choose, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to sprout. Right? It's going to blossom. And so the next day, Moses goes and he looks at the rod. And notice this. Again, we're told that as he looked at all the rods, we're told that all the other rods look the same except for Aaron's rod. And so God's word to Moses was, look, it's going to blossom. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sprout. But when Moses looks at it, there's more than that. We're told that, that, his, that his rod had sprouted. It had put forth buds. It had produced blossoms. And it had yielded ripe almonds. It was a complete miracle. Here you have this walking stick, right? That's just drier than a bone. And it was a complete work of God. It was a miraculous work of God, right? And so God is saying, look, Aaron is the one whom I've chosen, Right? And, and, and not only did his rod blossom, but we're told that, that again, that, it's, that, it, that it sprouted. 
We're told that it blossomed. We're told that, that, uh, that also it, it, uh, it had yielded ripe almonds. Right? It had produced, blossomed, and it had yielded ripe almonds. It was a complete miracle. Right? It's not like this thing was stuck in the ground for a few months or for years and watered. It was just overnight. They went over there and all of a sudden they saw this. Right? Representing what? Again, that God had chosen Aaron. Right? And that Aaron's ministry was fruitful. That's what it was. As it, as it brought forth more than, just, right, more than just the blossoms, but also the fruit of it. Representing again that, that the ministry of Aaron was fruitful because God had chosen him. Right? And that's a good principle man, for all of us to have as we get into ministry, man. It's always good to pray, God, what is it that you want me to do for you? Because we could do a million things for God right? that God is not calling us to do and neglect that one thing that God is calling me to do. Right? It's like if God is calling me to do this one thing and yet I'm busy doing 20 other things, but yet neglect that one thing that God has called me to do and I'm doing 15 things that God hasn't called me to do, like, man, it's going to produce no fruit. Right? But when I'm obedient to that thing, that, with that one thing, or it could be multiple things, but when I'm obedient to those things that God has called me to do, that's what's going to be fruitful, right? Because God's going to bless us. It's not going to be for me, but it's going to be from the Lord. Right? These guys, again, they were trying to put, to put themselves in this position of leadership, and anybody, I guess, could have led, quote-unquote, led the people of Israel. But God hadn't, hadn't chosen those people. He had chosen Aaron. Right? And so when, when God chooses you to do something, when God chooses you to a specific task, a specific ministry, know this, that God is going to cause it to be fruitful. It's not going to be dependent on you. It's just your obedience. Right? If God is going to bring fruit through this ministry of, of Calvary Chapel City Terrace, it's not going to be because of me. It's not because I'm a bomb teacher or because I'm so nice or because I'm so whatever. Or because I look cool with tattoos or whatever. It's not, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because the Lord chose to bring forth fruit through this. Right? But I'm just obedient to it. And so anything that the, Lord has called, that the Lord has called you to do, man, if you're obedient to it, it will produce fruit, meaning it will produce good results. Right? And so we see that, again, that God caused Aaron's rod to, to, to blossom, to sprout, to blossom, and to bring forth these ripe almonds. Notice that they weren't just almond buds, but they were ripe, meaning, man, they were ready for the picking. Right? Meaning, again, that God had blessed the ministry of Aaron as a priest. And verse 12 says, so the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever, says, whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all die? At least what's going on is that, man, as they wake up the next morning, keep in mind, all, right, all of their rods were right at the tabernacle. They're probably going up like, all right, man, let's see if I got chosen. Let's see if I got chosen. All of them pick up their, their, their dry, dead rods. And, then, and they're looking at, their, at the rods, and all of a sudden they see Moses' rod, I mean Aaron's rod, and it's, it's got blossoms all over, it's got, it's, got, it's got sprouts all over, it's got almonds coming out of it. They would have been like, whoa, they would have recognized, man, God has chosen Aaron, and we were wrong, we were wrong, right? They were in rebellion against God because they had complained against Moses and Aaron. So they, they're like, man, we're going to die, we're going to perish. They had just seen like 17,000 people die because of the rebellion. So now they're scared for their own lives. They're like, man, we're sorry. We're sorry. We shouldn't have said that. That's exactly what they're saying. Right? Man, we're going to die. We're going to perish. He says, whoever comes to the tabernacle of the Lord, we must die. He says, shall we all die? They're scared now. Right? They're, they're fearful because they recognize they have sinned against the Lord. And they sinned against Moses and Aaron and going against their leadership. So they're recognized. All right, God has chosen Aaron. And then chapter 18 says, then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. All this time, right, God has been speaking to Moses. Now all of a sudden this rebellion comes up against Moses and against Aaron. 
God chooses Aaron, and now for the first time here we have, now it says that the Lord said to Aaron now. So now God is speaking directly to Aaron. Remember, the complaint against Moses and Aaron was, hey, we could all hear from God. Right? We're well able to hear from God. You guys aren't the only ones. Up until this point, it was Moses who was, who was hearing from the Lord. But now God, again, is establishing the ministry of Aaron amongst the people so that they all may know, look, I speak to, to Moses, but also I speak to Aaron. He's the one whom I have chosen. And so God speaks to Aaron now. He says, you and your sons and your father's house, meaning the tribe of Levi, but specifically the sons of Aaron. He says, with you, you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. It says, also bring with you your, your brothers of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. It says, they shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and, at, and the altar lest they die. They and, and you also. And so, what God is doing is, man, he's telling Moses, right? Like he's telling Aaron, look, I've, I've, made it, I've made it very clear amongst all the people that you are the family. You are, you know, the, the man who, whom I've chosen. And your descendants, your, your sons are the ones who I've chosen to be the high priest. Right? Now, again, the people, what they wanted was Aaron's position. They wanted his position. They wanted his authority. They wanted to be the ones reverence. They wanted to be the ones looked at. They wanted to, to be the ones, you know, respected. They wanted to be the ones who, who heard from God. And we see that. Uh, Sometimes people chase these positions or titles or ministries for the, false, for the wrong reasons, right? What they wanted is just to be recognized. They just wanted the power. They wanted the authority. They wanted to be the ones who talked to the people, right? But notice that, that along with the, with, the, with, the, with the ministry, along with the title, along with the positions, comes a lot of responsibility, right? And the people weren't looking at that stuff. But now notice what God tells everybody. He says, look, you're going to bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, you're going to bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. I mean, look, it's, it's not that you're just going to go out there. You're going, to bear all the, you're going to bear all the fruitfulness. You're going to have all the fun. You're going to be out there in the spotlight. But no, it's also a lot of responsibility, right? And really, it's a, it's a, it's a serious work. James, in the New Testament, he would exhort the church. And he would say, let not many of you guys become teachers, knowing that you're going to fall under a stricter condemnation. Right? And so we see that even though, you know, people esteem this pulpit ministry or, hey, man, I want to be the pastor. I want to be the teacher. I want to be the one up there. I want to be the one noticed. We see, man, it's not. It's more than that. Right. It's a huge responsibility before the people, but also before the Lord. So much so that James will say again, hey, man, let not many of you guys desire to become teachers because you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. Meaning that for me being up here right, and teaching you guys the Bible, man, I'm going to be judged for this. I'm going to be judged for this. I mean, when, I, when, when we're face-to-face with the Lord, I, I'm going to have to, to, to give an account to the Lord whether I taught the Bible sincerely, whether I taught it with a good heart, whether I taught it falsely, false motives, whether I, taught, whether I taught good, sound doctrine, or false doctrine. God's going to hold me accountable. Right? And that's one thing that people don't look at. What they look at is like, hey, man, I want to be the one on the, up there on the stage or whatever, for whatever reason. Right? But notice, again, as he, tells, as he tells Aaron, you're going to bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, I mean, you're going to bear the, 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 the work, the responsibility that's related to the priesthood. It says, you and all your sons. Right? It wasn't something to be desired, man. It's a huge responsibility. And so it goes on to say there, verse 4, it says, They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. And verse 6 says, Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, 
from among the children of Israel, since they are a gift to you given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the, alt- at, at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. And he says, I give you, I says, I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And so God tells uh, Aaron, he says, look man, to, to you and your sons, this is what I'm giving you as a gift, right? The ministry. I love that. I love it because it wasn't a responsibility. It wasn't a duty. I mean, it was a responsibility. It was a duty, but it wasn't something uh, tedious. It wasn't something that like burning, like, oh man, it wasn't a drag. But God said, look, I'm giving you the gift of having the privilege to intercede on behalf of the people, to speak to, to me on behalf of the people and to speak to the people on behalf of me, right? It's a gift, man. And, and, and no matter how hard the ministry may get, man, it's a gift. And notice this, the Bible says, that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Meaning that if God is giving you a gift, you may not be up here teaching the Bible on a Sunday and Wednesday, but God has given each and every one of, one of us gifts. The Bible speaks about 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you're interested in reading them, it's in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Every single one of you guys, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith for salvation, been born again, the Bible says that He has given each and every one of us gifts. Right? It comes from God. James would say again that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. From the Father above. The Father of lights. Right? And, and if God has given you a gift, know this. That the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Meaning that He's not going to take them back. He's given it to you. Right? So whether you're up here on a pulpit. Whether you're never on a pulpit. Whether, whatever it is that God has given you as a gift. Right? It's, to be, it's to be shared with, with, with those around you. It's for the edification. For the building up of the body of Christ. For the church. And whether you're, you're functioning in a, in, a, in a spotlight type of ministry where everyone can see you or, in a, or behind the scenes ministry where no one can see you, just know this, that that's the gift that God is giving you. So it's the greatest gift you can ever receive, right? If, the, if whether, man, you're here and you're doing maintenance, you're doing custodial work, you're doing, with the, you're doing work with the kids, right? We're doing the orphanship, whatever it may be that God has called you to do, it's a gift from God, right? The most precious thing that you could ever receive from God, from God besides your salvation is his gift. And so as God tells Moses, I mean, he tells Aaron and, and so he says, I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. But the outsider who draws near shall be put to death. I mean, look, this is specifically for you. Hold this dear, right? It wasn't something that they were to despise. It was something that they were supposed to hold on to, to run with, right? To appreciate, to serve God with wholeheartedly, right? And so it goes on to say there in verse uh, verse 8 and it says and the Lord spoke to Aaron he says here I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings and all the holy gifts of the children of Israel he says I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever he says this shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire and then he goes on to name every single one of those those offerings and then verse 11 says this also is yours the heave offering of their gift with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel he says I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. And then from verses 12 uh, all the way down to, to verse 19. Um, and then 20 says, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. And so verses, from verses 8 to 20, we see that God is instructing Aaron and his sons, who again are the high priests there in Israel. He's instructing them as far as, as, far as their, their, their sustenance, as far as their income. That's what it is. And he's saying, look, a portion 
He says, a tithe, which is a 10%, from every single one of the people's offerings is going to be to you and to your sons. Because these guys didn't have the, 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 the time or the availability to go work a nine to five, right? Because their life was meant to be dedicated to the tabernacle. If you were a, a descendant of Aaron, if you're the, of a tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron, you're a high priest. But if you were just a, 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 male of, a male from the tribe of Levi, then you were to be a priest and you were to hop out there in the tabernacle. You couldn't quit, quit your, your priestly job to go work at Costco or work at Chick-fil-A or whatever it may be, right? They had to, no, they had to dedicate their whole life to the priesthood. So while all the other guys or all the other tribes are out there working hard, they're masons, they're, 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 they're building, right? They're building houses, carpenters, whatever it is that they're doing, they're making big bucks, building big houses. These guys didn't have... Uh, the opportunity to go out there and work and make something else of themselves because their 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 occupation was predestined by the Lord. I Meaning you're going to be priests and you're going to work at the tabernacle, right? It was uh, actually a good thing, right? It was a good thing, but lest they become discouraged and say, "Man, well, look at those guys, man! They're working away, they're getting all these things." God says this. He says, "Look, you're not going to have any inheritance in their land. All the other tribes and all the other families, when they came into the promised land, they received a certain plot of land, a certain portion." From this, from this uh, marker to this marker is going to belong to this tribe. From here to here is going to belong to this tribe. From this many miles off to right here is going to belong to this tribe. Except for the tribe of Levi. Because God says, I'm not going to give you any land when you come to the promised land. He says, no, nor are you going to have any portion among these. He says, for I am your portion and I'm your inheritance among the children of Israel. So God says, you're not going to have a physical possession. You're not going to have any physical land. But you're going to have me. That, that's beautiful. Because whether you have houses, whether you have riches, whether you have jobs, cars, material possessions, that stuff goes. That stuff goes. Right? I mean, man, you have a house, man, all of a sudden the weather comes all crazy and knocks down your house, boom, all of a sudden you have nothing. You have a car, man, you put enough miles on it, all of a sudden, dude, it's, it's broken down and you got to get another one. Right? But with the Lord, man, you, you'll never lose the Lord. And so we tell him, and it's like, he's saying, look, don't worry about all these other things that they're gaining, all their possessions, all their land. I'm your inheritance. And that's an eternal inheritance. That's an eternal possession. The best thing that we can possess here on this earth, and we can get so caught up in the rat race, right, man? Who's got who? Uh, keeping up with the Joneses or whatever. Hey, man, they just got a new car. We got to get a new car. Man, they, got, they bought a house. We need to buy a house. It's like, dude, forget all that stuff. It's so vain to put our trust, our hope, and our identity in physical, material things. It's so vain. If my identity is found in my house, in my car, in whatever... What happens when those things are gone? My identity is going to go with those things. My popularity, my, 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 my person, my, all these things. Man, if I put my identity in all these things that can go, then when they're gone, so is my identity. But if I put my identity in Christ who is eternal, then you want no matter what happens in life, if I lose, if I win, if I, whatever, if I'm in the gutter, I know, look, I'm the Lord's. I'm the Lord's because my identity is found in Christ and not in my material possessions. And so he's telling them, look, he says, you're not going to have an inheritance. You're not going to have a portion among their land. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am going to be your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. That's amazing. And so he goes on to say there in verse 21, he says, behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. He says, hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear the sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity, and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. 
For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. And then from there, uh, there in verses 25, uh, all the way to the end of the chapter, God goes on to describe the various different offerings that the, that the children of Israel would bring. Keep in mind, there's like three or four million of these families out there. And so God instructs uh, Aaron, and he tells them, look, you're going to take a 10% of every single one of their offerings, whether it's rams, goats, bulls, whether it's uh, wheat offerings, whether it's flour, whatever it is that they offer, says you're going to take 10%, and that's going to be your, what you're going to live on. Right? So they were to take 10% of the people's offerings, and God says it's going to be like a reward for your work. So God was going to pay them for their work. Right? It's not that they're going to be like, all right, they're, they're working. he wasn't going to let them starve to death. He was saying, look, this is going to be a reward for your work. Right? And it's biblical. We see that uh, even in the New Testament, Paul would say, hey, man, he who preaches the gospel, he let, let him live out the gospel. Meaning if a person has dedicated his whole life to just to preaching the gospel, doing the work of God, and then you know, let him be sustained also by the church. And so there's certain you know, pastors, certain ministries that are, that are big and they have big needs where the pastor can't go out there and work a nine to five because it's better for him to dedicate all his time, all his effort, all his, you know, his, 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 his days to the ministry, to the people. And so what happens is that the church sustains him, right? The church, he receives a salary from the church and the church sustains him, right? And so, I mean, some people will be like, hey, but why is he getting paid? Hey, man, he's doing the work of the ministry, right? He's dedicated his whole life. He's taking away time from his, from his family, from his wife, from his kids, to, and he's putting away his, his, uh, his career in order to, hey, to be a good steward of the Word of God, to be a good steward of the Bible, to be a good steward of the ministry, Right, and so again, typically that happens with with big ministries. Um, someone has asked me, "Hey, man, are you praying so that the church gets big so you so you could oh, so that, so you could receive a salary from the church and that way you could dedicate your whole time?" I'm like, "Nah, <laughs> I like to work. You know, I, unfortunately, I'm down right now, but man, I love what I do, and I pray to God that I could do it as long as I can. Right, and if the if God will provide for this church, so the church could continue going, man, and if you, if you could give me strength, so I could keep on working, I could keep on you know also giving to the to, to the church financially financially." So you keep going, like, man, praise God. That's what I want, right? But we see that because of this, right, there is a lot of uh, people who take advantage of the, of the ministry, right? And you see a lot of people who are in it for the wrong reasons, not because they love the people, not because they love the Bible, not even because they love the Lord, but because they want to fatten their pockets and they think, all right, man, well, if I build myself a big enough church, then cool, man, then the church is going to sustain me and I could get a big house, big car. There's guys out there who, man, God help them, man. But they're out there preaching like, hey, God has put in my heart that you guys need to give money because I need to buy another airplane. This is real. Man, look, 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 look at those guys, up, prosperity teachers, right, who, 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 uh, who pressure the people into giving money so that they could, man, buy their fourth or fifth car or third house or second airplane. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous, right? Man, we're taught to live within our means. Dude, I work a normal job, man, and I already drive a normal car, wear normal clothes, I'm not going to come over here all flashy like this. I, I, we're taught to, to live within our, need, our, our means and, and never to live you know, above that, right? And so, again, we see how easy they get, get taken advantage of. And um, we see that, again, because of that, God told them that you only just take 10%, and that's it, of all the people's offerings. And that's it. So they were to eat, you know, whatever the people came, they were to take 10% of that. They were to eat of that. They were to survive of that. And so that was for the priest. And it goes on to say there... And chapter 19 now, he's going to give them specific laws. It's called laws for purification. 
And this is actually a really interesting one chapter and now. We get into it. it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer, that's a red cow, without blemish. Meaning it's got to be perfect. It's got to be spotless, right? It can't be crippled. It can't be missing an eye. It's got to be a perfect animal. It says, a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come upon. Meaning it's never been used for work and it's, again, it's perfect. It says, you shall give it to elders of the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. And elders of the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it Sprinkle his blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. It tied its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast him into the midst of the fire burning with the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water. And afterwards he shall come into the camp. And the priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water. Bathe in water and shall be unclean until evening. Verse 9 says, Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside of the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification, for it is purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statue forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. And the rest of the... The verses from, 11, from verses 11 all the way to 22, he goes on to just give him instructions as to if a person were to come near the dead body, you know, he's going to be unclean. And I say that this is interesting because of this. So God is instructing this new generation, right? Because they're the ones who are going to enter the promised land, God had already given them instructions as far as the, the, the things that were, that were to take place with the sacrifices. But God is instructing this new generation. He says, look, when you guys come into the tabernacle, right? When you, before you could do any work as priests, he gives them specific instructions and he says, you are to take a red heifer, which the animal actually exists, but it's not red like, like, a, like the color red. It's more of like a, like, a, like, a, like a bright brownish, but it's a real animal. He says, you take this red heifer. It's got to be spotless, without blemish. And so before they could do any work in the tabernacle, before they could sacrifice any sacrifices, before they could offer up any offerings into the Lord, before they could begin any work in the tabernacle, they had to they had to sacrifice this red heifer, this red cow, and then as they were as it would they would sacrifice it completely, and all the ashes they would they would gather up all the ash all the ashes. They would take just a pinch of those ashes. So imagine you have a huge pile of ashes. You're not going to use all of them. They would just take a pinch of those ashes, throw in the water, and the ashes would purify the whole water. So now the priests could go in there and wash themselves, and just with a little bit of these ashes, then they would become unclean. They would uh, they would become clean. There wasn't anything. Sp- Magical or supernatural about these ashes, it's just the way the Lord had ordained it. Right? But I say that because I say that to say this that we know now that the Jews don't have a temple, right? Right here, they were, they were sacrificing at the tabernacle. Eventually, this tabernacle uh, became a temple whom Solomon built. That was the first temple. It was destroyed by, by, uh, by, by the Babylonians, right? But then we're told that Herod built, uh, he helped build the second temple. Eventually, that one was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman general Titus. When he came in there, we're told that he came in there and they had instructions not to destroy the temple. But because the temples were, were the, the temple walls were plated, in, were, were gold, plated in gold, 
he set a fire in the temple so that the gold came out and he could collect all the gold and as a result the whole temple, temple pretty much caught on fire and it was destroyed that was in AD 70 right now the Jews don't have a temple if you go to Israel and you want to go see them sacrifice an animal they're not doing that anymore the, the animal sacrifices stopped ever since then ever since 70 AD right now again this is important because the Bible tells us that in the last days in the tribulation period we're told that this third temple is going to be restored, is going to be rebuilt. Right now, they don't have anywhere to sacrifice animals. They don't have anywhere to go in and worship God. The actual location of where their temple is supposed to be, uh, there exists a, 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 a mosque, right? they call it the Dome of the Rock, right? for, for the Muslims. They don't have their own temple. But yet the book of Daniel tells us that in the last days, during the seven-year tribulation period, we're told that the Antichrist is going to establish this peace treaty with them and he's going to allow them to, to, to begin sacrificing animals again but then halfway through he said we're told that he's going to he's going to make a covenant with them for seven years but, ha- but halfway through maybe three and a half years he's going to cut off the sacrifices he's going to go into the temple he's going to demand that he be worshipped as God him being the Antichrist now it's, a, it's significant because speaking about the last days we're right here and we see that there is no temple so we see that somewhere along the way there needs to be a temple built in order for them to sacrifice. So you can't sacrifice while at a temple, right? But more than that, before they can even sacrifice, right now they have already priests, they have a, a priest that already lined up. There's this uh, institution there in Israel called the Temple Institute, right? Which is uh, um, these Jewish guys who raise scholarly and their whole aim, their whole purpose in life is to uh, rebuild, is to get all the plans ready to, for the rebuilding of the third temple. And to get all the priesthood in order to get all the utensils, to get everything pretty much ready, as we're reading about it here in the book of Leviticus uh, and, and Numbers. They're to get all the utensils ready, and they're even to get a priest. They've confirmed that they have guys who, they've done the ancestry thing, and they can trace them back to the tribe of Levi, specifically sons of Aaron. So they have priests already who are training, who are in training for sacrifices. But before anybody could sacrifice anything, they need a red heifer, right? They need uh, this red heifer so they can sacrifice it, get the ashes, and take these, these ceremonial baths. Now, about November of last year, there was a, a video put out by the Temple Institute there in, in Jerusalem. You can look it up on YouTube. They have their own YouTube page. It's called the Temple Institute. And so there's this Jewish man who was a student. He was actually, I think, from New Jersey. His family's from New Jersey, but they're Jews. So when they moved back to Israel a few years ago, and he made it his life's aim to uh, work on, 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 on uh, reproducing this red heifer. And so he, they confirmed last November that they have a red heifer without blemish ready to sacrifice. No. Right? So it's, this is insane. Because again, we see that one, the temple's not there, but everything else is already set in place for them to begin sacrifices if they were to build their temple tomorrow. Right? So this is, it doesn't mean, oh, we're living in the last, we're, we're living in the last days, but I'm not saying, oh man, we're antichrist. No. Right? But what this does tell us is like, man, we're that much closer. And I mean, I'm amazed. Right? You, when, when we went to the Temple Institute, and they even have it on their YouTube page. They take you to like this little um, theater. You sit down, you're watching this little video. It's like a five minute video. And it's pretty much the digital blueprints for the rebuilding of the third temple. They have all the prints, man. They have the schematics. They have every single thing. All the all the papers when it comes to the to the pouring the foundation, the concrete, the walls, wow. the electrical, the lights, wow. the glass doors. It's like super modern, right? It's nothing wow. like you see on Google images. It's like 
super modern. It looks like a building in downtown LA, like the most luxurious building in downtown LA. Wow. It's amazing, right? Wow. But now they, again, they've confirmed that they have now a, a red heifer that if need be, they could sacrifice. So this is just exciting times that we're living in. This is just some heavy stuff. Wow. And so moving on now, but I encourage you guys to, to look up those videos out there, uh, the Temple Institute there on YouTube. Going into now chapter 20 of uh, the book of Numbers. Sorry, I didn't think I was going to make it this far, so I didn't think. <laughs> so chapter 20 now of the book of Numbers. Um, from chapters 19 to chapter 20, man, we're like super fast forward. Uh, this, the, it, from, from the last verse of 19 to 20, we just skipped about like 30 something years. So keep in mind that this is now towards like the, wow. the, the latter portion now of their journey through the wilderness. Remember, they were supposed to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, yeah, so from chapters 19 to 20, it's, uh, it's a jump forward of about 38 years. So we're like, man, they're ready, almost ready to enter into the promised land. So the remaining chapters of the book of Numbers is like the last, like, man, few months. Yeah, it's the end of it. You know, like they're already ready to get into, into the promised land, right? They've already been traveling for, 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 for 38 years now this whole time. And so chapter 20 goes on to say, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Miriam, remember, is a sister of Moses, the one who had originally he said, Hey, Moses, who put you in charge of us too? So she stayed with well, them the whole time. She was one of them too beforehand. And so we're told that now Miriam dies there in, in, in Kadesh, and we're told that they bury her there. And verse 2 says, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Looking back at this whole situation, when all these other people died because of the rebellion, man, here they are. They've, they've, seen, yeah, they've seen the hand of God in their life for more than 30 years. They get to right the border of the promised land again. They begin to complain, man, there's no water. Man, if only would have died with the man 30 years ago, right? Oh, woe is me. And we're told that they contended against Moses and Aaron. So, man, I feel for these guys. 38 years of putting up with these guys' complaints. Right? Moses and Aaron probably have had it up to here with these guys. And so, we're told that... Right? They were told, if, they, if we had only died with our brethren, when our brethren died before the Lord, verse 4, Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not the place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So notice this, man, the effects that Egypt had on their lives. Because 38 years later, seeing the very presence of God right before their eyes, man, nighttime as a flame of fire, on daytime as a pillar of cloud, seeing God's provision, right, manna every single day, seeing God's provision, seeing them, uh, their clothes, we're told that their clothes never even wore out. They wore the same clothes and sandals for 40 years, and it just grew with them. Seeing God's hand in their life, and this whole time, they're saying, man, why did you bring us to this evil place? We should have stayed in, in Egypt, right? So we see the effects that Egypt had on their hearts, right? But... This is descriptive of a lot of believers, man, that when you come to the Lord, it's like, man, you, you try to forsake the things of the world, but you never really, you, you never, you're always doing this, you're always looking back at the world, man, my life used to be like this, or man, I missed that, I missed that, I wish I could do that again. And it's like, no matter how long you're walking with the Lord, you're still looking behind at your past life before Jesus, and it just always has this hold on you. That was them. That was them, that they were still thinking about Egypt even 38 years afterwards. And notice they say, 
Man, you didn't, why'd you bring us to this place? You lied, Moses. It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There's no water here. And verse 6 says, So Moses said to Aaron, So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. God's going to speak to them now. And it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rock, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, to speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So again, wow. they're thirsty. They're complaining. They're saying, man, we should have died in Egypt, all these things. But what does God do? He says, hey, you're right, Moses. Just take your rod and speak to the rock. He says, take your rod and go speak to the rock. And water is going to come out of this rock miraculously to give them drink. Right? That's what, that's what God was saying. And verse 9 says, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. <laughs> Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Man, so here's God again. As the people are thirsty, right? Moses and Aaron, they fall before their faces. God tells them, hey, take your rod, you and your brother, just gather the congregation, speak to the rock before the rise. Yeah. I mean, he said, he gave them specific instructions. Go before the people and speak to the rock. As everyone's looking at you, speak to the rock and it's going to yield the water. Another miracle. Moses says, all right. And as Moses goes, what does he do? He begins to yell at him. What did he say? He says, man, he says, uh, he says, you rebels. He says, here now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you from out of this rock? He lifted up his hand. He struck the rock twice with his rock. And water came out abundantly in the congregation of the animal, and the animals drank. And notice verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And he said, because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And this water was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hollowed among them. So what's going on? Is that God tells Moses, Moses, come here, I gotta talk to you. God gave Moses specific instructions. Moses was fed up with the people and his response to them was one of uh, anger. He was, uh, was one of anger, right? But keep in mind that Moses was representing God to the people and Moses was fed up Moses was, was, uh, was angry. Moses was, was bothered. But God wasn't. God, was, God didn't say, hey, man, these people, they're re these rebels. No. God just said, hey, Moses, go speak to the rock and water is going to come out of, it, out of it miraculously. But Moses took it upon himself to strike the rock twice. Yell at these guys. Man, are you, are you ever going to believe? Man, you rebels. Do I have to do this again for you? Yes. And he goes, whack, whack. He strikes the rock twice. What was he doing? He was misrepresenting the Lord to the people. Because in Moses being the representative of God to the people, the God, when the people see Moses all mad and yelling at them and striking the rock twice, what are they saying? Man, God's angry at us. We just want water. God's yeah. angry at us. Yeah. Yeah. And so the sin of Moses was that he misrepresented God to the people. And as a result, we're told that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And he says, look, man, because you didn't believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Moses and Aaron have been walking with the children of Israel for 40 years now in the wilderness. And right about as they're, going, as they're about to enter the promised land, God tells, God tells Moses, you're not going to get to go into the promised land with them. 
because you misrepresented me before the people. Right? There were consequences to his mistake. Wow. There were consequences to, their, wow. to his sin. Even though he had walked with him the whole time, it's because you misrepresented me before the people. Wow. So I might say, man, that's kind of messed up with God. I thought God was a gracious God. I thought God was you know, a, a patient God. I thought God was a forgiving God. He is. He is all those things. But you need to understand there's a, that there's a significance of this story. In the New Testament, Paul, as he's writing, I believe it's to the, to the, to the church at Corinth, Right? He's, he's bringing up the history of Israel and he's bringing up the people in the wilderness, the children of Israel in the wilderness. He's bringing up the specific incident and he says, and all drank of that rock. He says, and that rock, which is, and, and Christ is that spiritual rock right, from which the people drank of. It's all drank of that spiritual rock, which is Christ. And so Paul confirms that this incident in the wilderness, much like the manna, Right? Jesus said in the Gospel of John, as the religious leaders came up to him, he said, hey man, well, our ancestors ate man in the wilderness. And Jesus said, hey, your, your, your ancestors ate that man and they died. He says, but I'm the bread that comes from heaven. I'm the bread of life. So Jesus says, look, that manna represents me. And then Paul confirmed, he says, that water, is that, ro- that rock and that water that came out to satisfy their thirst in the wilderness, that rock represents Jesus Christ. And so in Moses striking the rock twice, it's like he's saying, man, Jesus had to die twice. Right? And we know that it's not true. Jesus had to die one only time. And one time was, su- was sufficient enough to forgive us of our sins. Right? He, every time we mess up, Jesus does Thank God, when we mess up, Jesus doesn't have to go back up on the cross and die and suffer, man, poor guy. Right? So the message of, of God is like, hey, Jesus, the Son of God, needs to be stricken once. And through that, through that striking and through that blood being poured out once, he says forgiveness is offered. Right? Forgiveness of sins. Righteousness, justification, right? The relationship between, between uh, God and you, man, is restored through Jesus being struck once. But in Moses striking the rock twice, because it had this eternal significance, and it, was, it needed to be severely dealt with. So he says, Moses, Aaron, come here, guys. He says, look, because you didn't hollow me, because you didn't believe me, because you didn't hollow me in, front, in the eyes of the people, he says, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I have given them. Right, man, heavy. Right, but we see, man, uh, this was again speaking of the rock and speaking of Christ. But we see that that any time, I mean, we misrepresent the Lord to someone else. We see that God takes that pretty serious. If I'm up here saying, "Look, man, I'm teaching you the Word of God," and my message is, "Repent, you sinners, you're gonna burn in hell because God is angry at you," what do you think about God? What do you think about God, right? Based on what I'm saying. Like, man, I'm, I'm portraying God in a light that, man, that's not Him. I'm misrepresenting God to the people, right? And God's going to hold me accountable for that. Right? And so many people are out there, man, and they misrepresent the Lord, not knowing the severity of it, not knowing that, man, God's going to hold you accountable for that. Why? Because sometimes people won't ever, won't ever come to a church, right, to know God. Or maybe they'll never read the Bible, but they'll read you. They'll read your life. And they think, Man, well, this guy's a believer. This guy's a Christian, right? And they see the way I live. They see the way I talk. They see the way I, what, I, what I'm doing. And they're like, man, well, that's him. I wonder what his God is like, right? And what's happening is that now I'm misrepresenting God before the people. And I can even potentially be a hindrance from them coming to the Lord because of my action, because of my reputation, because of my, you know, misrepresentation of God. And so we see, man, it, how important it is to reverence the Lord. How God told Moses, there, hey, it's important. It's because you didn't believe me or hollow me, meaning esteem him, put him in high esteem before the people, right? In the eyes of the children of Israel. And we see there was a, a consequence to that, right? Man, 
a lot of good takeaways from this chapter. We're going to end right there. The, the next, um, the next really, uh, the next few verses actually go along with chapter twenty-one. Uh, so it's one whole section, and I don't want to get into it because um, I'd rather take it start afresh. It, it's like a whole other theme, but we'll pick it up where we left off next week. Amen. Amen. Without that, Father God, thank you so much.